The following podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. As tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, and there has been a lot of movement in this week in sports so far. We've had retirements. We've had promotions. We've had firings. We've had anything you can think of in the basketball world this past week. And also, speaking of the of uh, basketball, we did have a surprising elimination last night uh, that we will have to discuss. We also currently have round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs taking place with game four of the Boston Bruins and New York Islanders currently underway with both teams tied up one-to-one through two periods of play tonight on goals by David Krejci for the Boston Bruins and Cal Palmieri for the New York Islanders. Uh, for, for those of you that may be tuning in, if you want to uh, discuss some sports with us on the air tonight, you can call in at 657-383-1308. We will be live on Blog Talk Radio for the next two hours before we go into our extra hour after show. Uh, that we do every single week. And a little reminder for any of you Survivor fans who may have missed last night, last night's interview with Survivor co-wrongs Joseph Del Campo can be heard on the archives by going to blogtalkradio.com slash missyae or by searching Missy AE on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you subscribe to the Missy AE podcast, you can get access to not only those interviews, but also any of these shows that we have done in the past going on, I believe, five or so years, I think, that we have been doing the Missy AE podcast uh, ever since it started. But anyways, the number tonight is 657-383-1308. I see I have Lou on the line with me right now. How are you doing tonight, Lou? All right, Steve, and you're right. What a week it's been. <laughs> yeah, it has definitely been a very interesting week, uh, to say the least, yes. particularly in the world of basketball. As yes. It, just, it really seemed like following the Celtics' loss to the Brooklyn Nets, which, by right. the way, I mean, it didn't really seem like the the Celtics were too broken up by it because they were all they were all uh, happy as a clam, uh, hugging the Brooklyn Nets and everything. Even after uh, even after Kyrie did the uh, did the uh, scraping the shit say, off of did, his shoe. I was gonna say how they react to um, you know Kyrie because you know the fans didn't take too uh, easy Kyrie. Yeah, uh, you, you know because they were like you know throwing objects at him and whatnot. I mean. Because when a player comes back to his former team, you know, the fans most of the time, they don't take it very kindly. They're like, you turncoat, you traitor, you come back here and show your face here, well, you go to the, go to the enemy? You know, well, that, I just think it, it, it'd be upset, it all, but you would be actual violence. Yeah, it all, it all depends. You know, there are, there are most players that end up leaving and when they come back uh, with the opposing team, 
usually they get a standing ovation from the crowd. You know, if it's for the Celtics, if it's like Jay Crowder or Isaiah Thomas or right, Paul right. Pierce, Kevin Garnett, you know, they would get a standing ovation unless unless they go out of their way and do something to completely either disrespect the Celtics or disrespect whatever team that they're, you know, that they had left. <laughs> In Kyrie's case, I think yeah. the biggest the biggest thing that fans are pissed off about with Kyrie is the fact that he promised this was uh, this wasn't you know uh, covered yeah. by the media or anything until after it happened, but uh, they did a question and answer with Kyrie Irving before the regular season, before his final regular season, I should say, with the Celtics, uh, with the season ticket holders and he was asked if he was going to resign and he said, yes, I'll, I'll be back. If you guys want me back, I'll definitely be back. And instead, you know, as we, as everybody knows that, that uh, infamous picture of him and talking to Kevin Durant backstage at the, uh, at the all-star game that year, yeah. You know, that complete that completely blew up and all of a yeah. sudden, you know, everybody, everybody started saying Kyrie's probably leaving. And right. Kyrie he had changed his tune all season long from oh, I'll stay if you guys have me to well, we'll visit that when the off season comes. Which if you if you're gonna if you're gonna promise that you're gonna stay there shouldn't be, you know, a change in attitude like that. And no. I, th- I think that's what's really pissed off Celtic fans is the fact that, you know, he promised that he that he was gonna that he was gonna come back as as long as uh, as long as the fans wanted him back, and he yeah. basically the. Uh, immediately, as soon as free agency hit, it was he. He jumped ship as quickly as he could to Brooklyn. Yeah. And what didn't help things is the fact that he he was doing all this shit this year. I don't know if you know if you uh, remember, but uh, the first game that Brooklyn played against the Celtics, he did this stupid shit by flinging uh, this whatever stage crap yes. uh, that I guess is supposed to ward off evil spirits or something. Uh, he started Ooh. flinging that shit all around TD Garden. And not to mention last year, he actively missed games that he normally would have been healthy for just so that he wouldn't have to face the Celtics on, uh, you know, at the oh, TD Garden. Out. Yeah. He, he he basically yeah. decided to be a little bitch last year. A little because he was so yeah. afraid. He was because he was so afraid, and that's if anything, that's what also pissed off fans. But the biggest one was going over to the logo after the clinch, after the game five clincher, or no game four, uh, game four to go up three games to one. He goes right over to the Celtics logo, uh, Lucky the Leprechaun, and <laughs> scrapes his shoe on Lucky's head. 
on Lucky's face, which if anybody oh, yeah. know, knows what that, if, if anybody knows why you, why you scrape your shoe on something, it's to scrape the shit off of the shoe. Right. Of course. Which is basically what Kyrie was doing, showing a sign of disrespect when he could have done that on any other part of the floor. He chose to go right to the center. And now, now let me say this. That doesn't condone, that doesn't condone the fan throwing the water bottle at him afterwards. No, no. As he was, I didn't even see if the water bottle was full or if it was empty when he threw it, but. I think it was empty. uh, You know, it's just, we, we, uh, we talked about this last week about all these incidents involving fans around the, around the league. And it's like I, like I said, it's uh, last week. It's getting to a point where it's starting to come to become out of control. To the point where uh, I believe this past week, not only did we have the Kyrie water water bottle incident, but a Wizards fan tried to charge the the court in Washington. Yep. And attempted like he was gonna he was gonna dunk a basketball or something. And by the way, completely missed the net. Might I add? Uh, it's it goes back to the question you asked last week, Lou. You know, uh, could COVID could, does COVID have have anything to do with this? You know, the fact that everybody was cooped up in quarantine and everything. Right. And I've been hearing I've been hearing that same sentiment all week long from different people like Kendrick Perkins and stuff like that and and, and, uh, other NBA analysts that you know people have been cooped up all all throughout COVID due to quarantine but it still does not it does not give yeah it does not give the fans the right to to do stuff like that I under I, you know I I kind of get the Celtics thing because there's so much hatred against Kyrie, but it still doesn't give him the right to throw something at Kyrie. No, not at all. If anything, all what that does is it furthers the narrative for Kyrie to basically say Boston is as racist as can be. When if 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 fans were smart, they would have, uh, to that point, uh, those two games in Boston, they they didn't do anything racist. And it looked like maybe perhaps Boston was going to get the opportunity to turn around that narrative. Then, of course, the fan throws the bottle at him. And it was a white fan in, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it was it was a white fan uh, above all else. Right, so that's right. going to further add on to his uh, to his case, you know. Yes. Now the fan has been arrested. He was arrested and he was banned for life uh, from the TD Garden following the incident. He was charged with assault and battery uh, by means of a dangerous weapon. That's how serious. Uh, Massachusetts is taking this this incident. That, uh, he he was arraigned or he was uh, 
was it a, was it an arraignment an arraignment or an indictment on Tuesday? Uh, I want to say it was arraigned. He was arraigned on Tuesday, and he's yeah. set to make another appearance. I think they said. Uh, I can't give the exact the exact date. I can't exactly remember, uh, but he is set to make another appearance in court um, involving this incident. And yeah, it, it's there. There's just no room for this whatsoever. Period. There's no room for uh, you know. It's it's sort of what Kyrie said. Or not Kyrie, what Kevin Durant said, you know, these people are, these uh, athletes are not just athletes, they're also human beings. So let the athletes do their job and the fans, you know, are are there to, to cheer. They're not there to actively get involved in what happens on the court. But I got to say, you know, I I wasn't expecting Boston, Brooklyn by any means. I was happy to sort of put up a little, I was happy though that they, that they uh, sort of put up a little bit of a fight by winning at least one game. Cause honestly, I thought they were getting swept. So I was very no, surprised. I had to give them one game. Well, they only won that game because Tatum put up another 50-point game. Uh, right. His fourth or fifth 50-point game in at least 40 days. Yeah. I, and uh, Kevin Durant said this uh, in his media scrum that he did this past week or the past couple of days when uh, I believe they were talking about about how he'd match up against Giannis and he was talking about how he ju- he had just matched up uh, with Jason Tatum, and he has officially put Tatum in that elite category in terms of players he's played against in the playoffs. Because he he mentioned Kobe, he mentioned uh, LeBron, you know Tim Duncan, and he's now put Jason Tatum in that uh, amongst those elite players. So. I think Jason Tatum has officially made that leap into into superstardom this year. Oh yeah. Now, we didn't know though that that one, you know, this one series would completely catapult the Celtics into a whole bunch of different changes as the very next day it broke I think at 11 o'clock or or at noon. Uh, it was well. Actually, no. It first broke at nine o'clock, where it was announced that Danny Ainge was considering uh, his future with the Celtics, and that he could mm-hmm. make a decision to step down, uh, which he ultimately did. He ultimately stepped down, and he officially retired. So, you know, that wasn't really much of a surprise. I think the bigger surprise was that Brad Stevens was promoted from head coach to the new head of basketball operations for the Celtics. Uh, that is a surprise. And he is, I mean, it, it, they were going to have to pay him either way, 
he 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 has like I think it's six years remaining at about six to seven million dollars per year. So they were going to have to pay him anyways, and uh, they probably felt that instead of hiring a new general manager uh, for more money, you know, it would be better off bringing in uh, Brad or, uh, you know, elevating Brad Stevens, who, by the way, had lost the locker room. It was, he did feel kind of like he had lost the locker room, according to his press conference that he, that he gave, which, it kind of makes sense, Lou, when you think about how the Celtics played this year compared to the past couple of years uh, that Stevens has been coach. Didn't it really seem like there was something different about this year's group as opposed to previous years? Yeah, I did sense a little bit uh, something different of it. But we right, have a point seemed... like with Jason Tatum. I mean, you know, that's kind of right there. I mean, you know, I'm going over like who's going to be like the next superstars in the NBA, and of course, I could think of a few. I mean, you just mentioned Tatum, uh, Trey Young looks to be on the brink of superstardom, you know, whatnot. So there's, you know, there's there's a few there's a few uh, prospects for that right there. Oh yeah, condolences by the way to your New York Knicks uh, for thanks a lot for Steve. dropping for dropping to the uh, to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, that was I, – I, I have to say I was very surprised that Atlanta was able to finish them as quickly as no, they did. I was expecting – I was really expecting not, a much because that could have went series. either way. That could have went either way. Up here it is. Steve Nash, first season as in – I mean, Coach hmm. – They're giving an yeah. interview on, on the TNT broadcast right now. So I'm not surprised. I mean, Trey Young, you know – Exploded into what you know the star is going to become, and you know it could either way. They're both evenly matched. The only reason why the Knicks got the higher the higher seed was due to the tiebreaker they had. So this series could went either way. So true. Yes, I'm surprised, and no, I'm not surprised. And uh, by the way, you're talking about Steve Nash. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets they do have a 14 point lead at the beginning of the fourth quarter over uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. And shockingly, uh, they are doing it without James Harden, who ended up leaving early in the first quarter hamstring. With, a, uh, with a hamstring injury, yeah. Yeah, I just cut it off the wire. And it, uh, I don't think there has been any updates on Harden's, uh, on Harden's condition since. No, but, no, too early. But uh, what... Uh, I, I guess if you could call it a, a little bit of good news is the fact that he was able to walk off on his own power. So maybe perhaps they're okay. just being, maybe perhaps they're just doing precautionary measures by uh, having Harden sit out the rest of the game, as opposed to, you know, it, the injury potentially getting worse compared to, uh, you know, if he, if he, if he decided to continue playing. Yeah, but uh, you know, back to the Celtics. Uh, Brad Stevens, you know, apparently uh, he had become worn down with coaching since the NBA bubble last year, 
and he and he actually welcomed the transition to the front office, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. And quote, I mean, this isn't the first coach who has gone from coaching to the front office, as Danny Ainge also did the same thing back in '99 with the Phoenix Suns when right. he coached he coached the Phoenix Suns and then later uh, went to the front office during uh, during his remaining time there in Phoenix. Uh, but there was actually a report that came out by one of the Boston newspapers. I forget if it was the Herald or the Globe uh, that had said I that was Ainge or not Ainge, uh, there was a member of the Celtics front office that had lobbied for Ainge to fire Brad Stevens mid-season, and Ainge refused to do so. So that tells me right there that You know, if we remember, we remember there was uh, there was those openings in Indiana and also in North Carolina for head coaching positions. And yes, I was I was going to say maybe the Duke one would be uh, would be uh, enticing, uh, which we'll get to in a in a little bit here. But obviously, I think we're going with that now. Yeah, that's obviously off the table now. But Brad Stevens, the fact that he didn't leave the NBA to go back to to go back to college, especially when there were highly coveted openings this year, tells me that boss that that he had an idea that there was something that was going to happen. You know that uh, yeah. Ainge must have told him uh, about his plans. Sometime around, they, uh, Ainge actually said he made up his mind uh, shortly after the NBA trade deadline this year that this year would be his final year as uh, the president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics. And that kind of tells me one of two things, Lou. Either, either he wanted to get out ahead of it because he knew that there would be uh, – you know, there would be calls for his head potentially from fans because of his stuff over the past couple of years. Or I think he may have figured out that teams are less willing to engage in trades with him now because, as it was quoted by, uh, by an anonymous uh, member of, uh, of one particular team out in the West, the Celtics don't do deals with you unless they want unless they can fleece you in the deal. Yeah. And I think that I think that as well as Ainge trying to trade away Kemba this off this past off season may have uh you know may have resulted in his credibility as general manager around the league starting to go downhill. So he probably figured that if he did stay with Boston, there wasn't really much else that he would probably be able to do in order to try and improve the team. So now with a basketball mind like Brad Stevens, and he's highly regarded around the league as one of the, one of the smartest coaches. And also uh, they said too, that he would be, 
a pretty good fit in the front office should he decide to do it one day, which obviously, you know, yeah. now's now is the case in this situation. Because they said he's more of a X's and O's type of guy as opposed to, you know, some as opposed to actively managing a lineup uh, like he has done for the past eight or so years in Boston. Now, he does finish off his Celtics coaching career uh, with – a regular season record of 354 and 282, which is good for about a 55.7% win percentage uh, through eight years. And of those eight years, he only missed the playoffs his very first year as coach, missing with a 25 and 57 record. Uh, he went through seven years, uh, through seven playoff appearances. He has a record of 38 and 40 uh, going as far as the conference finals three of the last uh, three of the previous four years before uh, heading into this season. Uh, now, here's the thing, though, Lou. I'm not entirely sold that Brad Stevens is going to stay as president of basketball operations. Sure. I think he's still – I think he still wants to coach, but the thing is, is that, you know, he had just grown tired of coaching this team. Right, right. You know, there's only, there's, there's, there's only so many seasons that you can go with the same group of people like Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart, who has been here for pretty much Brad's entire uh, he's been here for Brad's entire run. You know, there's only so many years that you can go with the same group of people before that group of people starts tuning you out. And that's pretty much what happened here. So I would not be shocked at all if maybe, maybe give it a year if a team tries to trade with the Celtics for the rights to Brad Stevens because Brad is still under contract and it would be to hire him as their, uh, to have him as, as their next uh, head coach. What do you think about that, Lou? Do you, do you buy that Brad Stevens is done with coaching or do you think that he, if given the, if given the opportunity uh, would coach for another team? No, I think you know, I think he is going to coach for our team. I don't I don't think he's done uh, with coaching entirely with this. So so he. I mean, I don't know who he coached for, but I I don't think he's done. So it would have to be within the next six seasons. If if his con- since his contract is up in six years, a team can still technically trade for him, like they did, like the Clippers did for Doc Rivers back when they yeah. hired Doc Rivers as uh, as their head coach, they technically traded with the Celtics because Rivers still had years remaining on his deal with Boston. Uh, I, forget, I forget exactly what Rivers went for, but uh, they traded – I want to say it was two seconds maybe. I could be wrong. Um, 
Let me check, actually. Actually, no. Uh, the Clippers acquired Rivers from the Celtics for an unprotected first-round draft pick uh, in the 2015 uh, NBA mm. draft, which, if I look this up right now, let me see who that turned into. That turned... Was that Terry Rose? Wait. No, that turned into R.J. Hunter because that was, that was the 28th pick. Uh, because the, Clipp- the Clippers at that time had their, had their huge, uh, you know, uh, core, the core group of, uh, of Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and Chris Paul at that time. Yeah. So – I would assume, you know, obviously Doc Rivers was an NBA champion. So I would assume that maybe if anybody were to trade for Stevens, it would probably be less than that, maybe like a second-round pick or something like that. Uh, But Stevens has a lot on his plate. Uh, He now has to select a a new head coach, somebody who is – somebody that, uh, you know, that will be able – to, to keep Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown invested. And there is word that Brown and Tatum will have some sort of uh, leverage when it comes to who they want as their next head coach. Uh, there's been a whole bunch of names that have been, uh, that have been put up. Uh, Jerome Allen, also known as Pooh Allen, on the uh, uh, he's a he's been a Celtics assistant coach for a couple of years. He's uh, interviewed for the position. He's also interviewing for the now vacant uh, Blazers position with uh, the Blazers moving on from Terry Sotts last night. Uh, Jason Kidd is also an option. Uh, there's also. Uh, Chauncey Billups, an option, uh, who is an option as well. And believe it or not, there's also uh, the potential for some history to be made, as obviously uh, we all know that there's never been a female head coach in NBA history. That's correct. Uh, there's a rumor that Kara Lawson is highly uh, highly thought of amongst uh, her former Celtics players when she was an assistant coach for two years between uh, for the 2019 and 2020 NBA seasons. Uh, she had left Boston to become the head coach of the Duke women's basketball team, though mm-hmm. she only coached I think like four games because of uh, because the season got canceled due to COVID. Right. Uh, And apparently she impressed a lot of people during her time in Boston to the point of where they said that she, she quote unquote commanded practice every day, whenever, whenever they would have practice. Uh, She was like basically a drill sergeant almost. And uh, basically she made a whole bunch of players jaws drop essentially. So uh, Kara Lawson is on the list for potential head coaches. 
and also Becky Hammond of the San Antonio Spurs has been uh, listed as a potential head coach for the Boston Celtics. Though the current betting favorite, though I don't know, I don't know how much uh, how much stock you can put into this, but the current betting favorite right now is Sam Cassell, uh, former NBA champion with the Boston Celtics in 2008, and mm-hmm. he is also an assistant currently. I forget with which team around the league, uh, but Sam Cassell and Chauncey Billups are currently the odds-on favorites with uh, Celtics top assistant Jay Laranega not far behind. So it's going to get very interesting, especially with the announcements of Terry Stotts parting ways with the uh, Portland Trailblazers and also Steve Clifford parting ways with the Orlando Magic earlier today. They're mm. going to probably be uh, – they're probably going to be involved – uh, yes. In the uh, in the equation here, so what are your thoughts, Lou? Who do you who do you think uh, could potentially become the next coach of the Celtics? Do you think it's going to be an obvious choice, or do you think it could be somebody out of left field that nobody's even thinking about? I don't get to get a chance on slots. You're gonna take you're gonna take a chance on slots. Yes. <laughs> well, I do no know intended. There is, I do know there there is uh one other coach that is in consideration oh. and if I can find the thing up here, it's with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh Ime Udoka of the Brooklyn uh-huh. Nets, who's currently who's currently an assistant coach there, apparently is uh, one of the potential okay. one of the potential uh, coaching hires that Boston could decide to go with here. So that, you know, there, there's a whole bunch. Uh, obviously, he had served under uh, Greg Popovich during the during uh, San Antonio's. Uh, run during the Kawhi Leonard years, so that's a possibility. Yes. Uh there's you know, there there's a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of possibilities here for the Celtics, but I think the biggest thing here, and this could actually be a big win for Boston, is that we're gonna see basically a fresh start here as Ainge Ainge had been with the organization pretty much since hell since 2002 I think 2002 or 2003 so I think Mm. we may see a philosophical change in the Celtics organization to where usually they covet uh, their draft picks way too much to the point of where we saw what they did with the Brooklyn picks They, they completely messed up the Brooklyn picks I mean granted they did get Jason Tatum they did get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown out of them, but uh, you know, for the most part, they they had the potential to do a lot more damage with those picks than they actually did. 
Now, with this new uh, leadership that's going to be uh, that's going to be going in here, and to my understanding, the only real change has been uh, Brad Stevens in place of Danny Ainge. Uh, I, as far as I know, uh, the executive vice president Mike Zarin is still is still in, as well as Danny Ainge's son Austin Ainge. Uh, he is still with the organization. So pretty much the only change that has been made has been that Danny Ainge has stepped down and Brad Stevens has moved from head coach to, uh, to Ainge's spot, basically. Um, so what, what are your, what are your thoughts? Where do you think uh, this puts the Celtics? Because it's, it's weird. There's, there are changes that could potentially be made this off season when it comes to players, but right. this this job seems to be probably the most coveted job of any of the openings because of the fact that they have a solid core already ready with J- with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and plus depending uh-huh. on if they decide if they decide to keep Marcus Smart, you know they have a talented young core, their main problem has pretty much been, you know, they, they haven't been able to find somebody that can motivate them, you know, that can get them going. Yeah. Uh, I've noticed that. That, and also throughout the years, they've, uh, the Celtics have been hesitant on pulling up, pulling the trigger on certain moves that could have landed them certain stars like James Harden, for example, for example, or Kevin Durant. Yes. So what do you think the biggest change uh, is going to come out of this when it comes to, when it comes to Boston, you know, moving on from Danny Ainge and putting in Brad Mm. Stevens as their new, as their new president, basically. Hmm. I don't really see much of a change at all. You know, just a change in the, the guard, really, for just for the Celtics. I don't, I don't see anything really, just a major change done at all. Uh, you don't think there's going to be a change in philosophy in terms of how they draft or anything? Because you know how no. Ainge loved his, uh, you know how Ainge loved his guards to where even if there, even if there was a uh, a franchise changing forward out there, he would instead take a guard as opposed to uh, taking a big man. You don't see that much of a change happening there, potentially? No, I, I really don't. I'll give you another one here, too. Uh, you remember the wh- when they were deciding what to do with Gordon Hayward for a sign-and-trade? Yes. And the Pacers were involved. Uh, Miles Turner. It would have been Miles Turner and Doug McDermott uh, in exchange for Gordon Hayward for the rights to Gordon Hayward. And the Celtics said no. Apparently, between Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens, one wanted it, the other one didn't. So give or take, whatever, whatever you, whatever you make of that. Uh, somebody wanted a big man between Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens while the other one didn't. That's very odd. So, 
Why, why, why? So yeah. in in my eyes, I'm kind of thinking we could see a change in regards to what the Celtics covet when it comes to roster building. I have a feeling that Brad okay. Stevens wanted Miles Turner and Danny Ainge said no. Aha. So I suppose it could happen, but I I just still don't see it. Yeah, obviously anything's possible with with there being uh with there being change now um in the any anywhere actually where where there's change anywhere uh you know there there is one uh one scenario out going out here with uh obviously uh Portland having another early exit from the playoffs obviously yes. they fired Terry Stotts or they didn't fire him it's more like uh they both mutually no, agreed to part ways mutual yeah they it was it was a mutual agreement to part ways. Uh, but we got a goal here in Game Four. The Islanders have taken a two to one lead with seven minutes to go over the Boston oh, Bruins. So it looks like uh, it looks like it's off of Matthew Barzell. Uh, so it looks like the Islanders may be on their way to tying up the series here, two games apiece. Just like I thought it would. I didn't think this was going to be, you know. An easy one for anybody. So this is going exactly as I thought it was going to be. We'll have to see. We'll have to see if Boston can answer here uh, in the last seven minutes. But so far, Varlamov has been, uh, despite his one and three record in this postseason, uh, he has been phenomenal this series so far, ever since he took over for uh, Sorokin. Uh, but back, you know, back to uh, back to the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, they did mutually agree to part ways with Terry Stotts, um, despite Stotts having one more year left on his deal. Uh, this was their fourth first round exit in the last five seasons, and the the, clo- the furthest that they got, I believe, was the Western Conference Finals uh, under Terry Stotts, and. Damian Lillard did admit in his exit interview that some changes needed to be made. Uh, and Lillard is publicly lobbying for the Blazers to hire either Jason Kidd or to hire Chauncey Billups as their next head coach. Now, however, though, there has been talk that could Damian Lillard potentially hit the trade market this off season. Hmm. If Portland decides to go on a rebuild. I want to get your thoughts on that because Lillard could catch or could fetch quite a, uh, quite a package. I mean, we saw what, what James Harden got, uh, what James Harden got for, uh, for Houston you know, Lillard, there has been a bit of an argument that maybe perhaps Lillard could fetch that same sort of package maybe a little bit more because of the fact that he has uh, years remaining on his contract. 
How many years do you have left? I think he's got like four years remaining on his oh, deal. That's, that's still a long way off, though. I mean, you know, four years, but I can just imagine how much of a how much he's um you know willing to get out. This it could be a it could be a huge package deal for him. Exactly. Four and years. you know that's the that that's uh that's why I think it could potentially be more than what uh than what the Rockets had to give up uh or or what the Nets had to give up for James Harden because yes. Harden had a couple of years remaining but it wasn't it wasn't you know like 4 years left on the deal. So if there is really any seriousness to these uh rumors about Damian Lillard especially if they don't hire the coach that he wants Yes, you know we could we could potentially see a blockbuster deal go down at some point uh, this upcoming season. Maybe maybe the off season here uh, with Portland. Obviously, they would have to go into a rebuild at that point if they're moving on from Lillard, who has been basically their cornerstone for the past ten years. Essentially, let me Hmm. wait. No, that sounds seem rather strange. I just can't get used to that. The word not being on the, you know, on the Blazers. Yeah, I mean, it's been a star player for so long. It would definitely, it would definitely rock the, uh, it would rock the NBA. I'll put it that way. Oh yeah, no question about if that. If Lillard, if Lillard were to were to leave Portland, I mean, this past year he averaged twenty eight point eight points per game. Uh, seven and a half assists per game and 4.2 rebounds. You know, he's he's been putting up these numbers pretty much ever since his fourth year in the league, which was back in 2015-2016. So, yeah. you know, he's been basically a monster uh, ever since his first and three years in the league. Yeah, and then some, exactly. And actually this year, this, this postseason uh, – in the first round hmm. was his highest averaging postseason, uh, scoring 34.3 points per game and averaging 10.2 assists per game in the six games that the uh, that the Trailblazers played against the Denver Nuggets. Now, speaking of the playoffs, and actually, before we do that, uh, Steve Clifford, he agreed to part ways with the Magic. Uh, yes. It, it's clear, based off of what the Magic this this season, you know, uh, trading off all of their uh, all of their big assets in terms of players, that they're obviously heading into a rebuild at this point. And even though. Uh, Orlando made the made the playoffs as, uh, during the first two years of uh, Steve Clifford's career with them, uh, which was basically the past two seasons. They did miss the playoffs this year with with Clifford, so they obviously figured that Clifford probably wouldn't want to stay around for a potential rebuild, so. Uh, both Clifford and the Magic uh, mutually agreed to part ways here. So, like I said, you know, there's two, uh, there's two potential, potential coaching candidates for 
uh, for the uh, the Celtics coaching uh, coaching job here. And also, it says here, according to the Athletic, Terry Stotts could also be a candidate for the Pacers head coaching job if the Pacers decide to part ways with Nate Bjorkgren. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Uh, now, well, score the... next one fifteen bucks one oh seven. Wow. So you know what? I, I was going to transition to the NBA playoffs anyways here, uh, but that's a big win for Brooklyn considering the fact that they didn't have James Harden all game. Harden yeah. only played like the first forty five seconds uh, before his hamstring injury. Uh, Kevin Durant led the way with 29 points, 10 rebounds, three assists. Uh, Kyrie Irving had 25 points, eight assists, five rebounds. Blake Griffin, uh, had a double, double 18 points, 14 rebounds. So, uh, I mean, let's, let's just put this out there. This Brooklyn Nets team is the real deal. If they're still a, if they're able to handle a team like the Milwaukee Bucks, even without James Harden, you know, and they still they still have Durant and Irving out there, you know, this is definitely the real deal here with Brooklyn, and I think especially with the with the L.A. Lakers now out of it, and mm-hmm. we will discuss that series in a little bit here. Uh, but with the Lakers, I out may of have it, to check back with you. I have to check to see if my other show is coming on. So. Um, I'll check. I'll check back with you. Like about, um, well, they're on the call. If they're on the talk to them, I'll get right back to you. But always, I may get back about mm, forty-five minutes or so. Yeah. All right, just gotta check and see if he's if he uh, needs me tonight. If not, then I'll be back sooner. All right. Okay. Thanks, Steve. All right. Talk to you in a bit, Lou. All right. But. You know, as I, I as I was saying, with uh, when it comes to Brooklyn, you know, there's with the with the elimination of the L.A. Lakers, you know, from uh, from the postseason here. I think there. I think you probably have to consider Brooklyn to be the favorites. I mean, yeah, defense is clearly a problem with Brooklyn in terms of uh, giving up uh, an absurd amount of points per game, but they also have the offense, you know, unless you really match up well against that offense. I mean, obviously the loss of James Harden could prove a big factor here uh, in this series. If he misses more than just tonight, you know, it could prove to be a factor from uh, in terms of Milwaukee, you know, being able to adjust, to make adjustments in how they're going to guard uh, both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. You know, that could prove to be a problem for the Nets. But uh, from all indications, uh, from what we saw tonight, Joe Harris was able to get back to form after uh, after being a little bit sluggish in the later uh, the later games against the Boston Celtics last series. Uh, all indications are, you know, this Brooklyn Nets team is definitely prob- probably one of the teams to beat in this postseason, maybe the team to beat. But 
looking at the playoff bracket right now as it stands, we currently have all but one series uh, finalized as tomorrow night we have game seven between the L.A. Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks with L.A. still hanging in there. Uh, forcing a game seven after their win last night. But we do have, of of course, currently Brooklyn leads Milwaukee one game to none in their best of seven series in the second round here. Game seven or game two is set for, uh, for Monday night on TNT. Uh, We also have in the East, the Philadelphia 76ers, taking on the Atlanta Hawks in the second round. However, Philadelphia may be limited, though, as Joel Embiid does have a tear, a slight tear of his meniscus. It's not known the exact severity of that exact tear, but it's, you know, it's not going to heal just due to rest. You know, he's probably going to have to have surgery uh, some type of surgery during the off season in order to repair it. Uh, so he, if he does continue to play this postseason, you know it, he, he's not going to be at a hundred percent. That could prove to potentially be a problem against this Atlanta Hawks squad that dispatched uh, the New York Knicks seemingly with ease four games to one in the first round here. Uh, on the other side, we have the Phoenix Suns against the Denver Nuggets, uh, a matchup of the second and third seeds. And we have the Utah Jazz awaiting the winner of the Clippers and the Mavericks. So uh, there is definitely it, – it, it's going to be an interesting finish. I'll put it that way especially with the Lakers getting uh, getting their season early uh, in six games to the Phoenix Suns. And it looks like, as I said earlier, the New York Islanders, with a empty net goal by Casey Sezikis here, uh, they are about to take game four and tie up the series with the Boston Bruins as they currently lead three to one right now. Uh, with just about a minute left to go in the game. So what could have been potentially the last game in the Nassau Coliseum uh, happens to not be the case, as we will have, at the very least, uh, a game six in the Nassau Coliseum here. As Nassau Nassau Coliseum, I guess, is uh, this is their final year of of uh, you know it's their fi- their final year of being in service, I believe. As let me take a look here, actually. Yeah, it's been you know it's been the home of the New York Islanders since 1972, and the team will then move to the UBS Arena near Belmont Park, uh, beginning next year. 
So the Islanders will have will have a new uh, will have a new place to call home. And from what it looks like, it looks like the Nassau Coliseum uh, will. I don't know if they're gonna if they're gonna demolish it or what they're gonna do, but uh, it's basically being retired from NHL from NHL usage here. Anyways, we're gonna move on uh, a little bit. We'll we'll go back to NBA coverage in just a little bit. Uh, we do have some WWE news, some kind of shocking WWE news in all honesty here. Uh, the WWE abruptly released Braun Strowman, Aleister Black, Ruby Riot, Lana, Santana Garrett, and Buddy Murphy earlier this week. Now, the two real shockers to me in this one, well, actually, I guess you could say four because technically – uh, four of these people were still being used on WWE TV on a at least regular or semi-regular basis. Uh, as a matter of fact, Lana, I believe, was on this most recent edition of Raw before she got released. Uh, Braun Strowman, you know, he was just used in a WWE Championship uh, uh, program with Bobby Lashley and... Uh, Drew McIntyre, so that's a shocker. Uh, Alistair Black, you know, he was uh, he was basically getting revamped uh, for a new for a, for a new uh, you know a, a new um, gimmick. And JG Padjo adds in another empty net goal, so it is four to one final for the New York Islanders. Series tied at two apiece going into game five. Uh, but, yeah, you know, Alistair Black, he was starting up a new gimmick. Uh, he had just returned to SmackDown a couple weeks ago, actually. Uh, Ruby Riot, you know, she was basically a, uh, a team with, uh, with Liv Morgan. And, obviously, now that means that Liv Morgan has nothing else to do so I would assume she's probably going to get released by the WWE at some point here. Uh, Lou, you are back on the line. Uh, I assume for now. that um, for for now, okay. Yeah, Lou, I, you know I I was starting to go into uh, the random releases that the WWE made this past week, and there is something interesting that has actually come out from this because one of those releases was known as a merchandise mover. So basically he was one of their top sellers in terms of merchandise. And obviously the big thing is that uh, he had one of the bigger contracts amongst the, uh, the main roster talent. And it's kind of raised the question, Lou, could the WWE perhaps be selling Mm. Well, it's how it used to be, you know, back then. No, I can't really tell. I mean, you know, I haven't followed WWE like I used to, so it's hard to say, really. Well, because Vince McMahon, I mean, he got yeah. the company from his father. 
Oh, yeah. You know, he got the company from his father, and, it, you know, uh, they had just sold the WWE Network to NBC for $1 billion. Uh, that oh. is a real amount, by the way. The real amount of that settlement was a $1 billion. So uh, to basically become of the to become a part of the Peacock Network uh, that NBC has is that that now, streaming service? Yeah, yeah. It's basically okay. it's basically like Netflix almost. I know it is. I just know it meant by the streaming service or just rig or like one of the cable outlets or something. No, no, no. Yeah, no. It's a it's definitely a uh, a streaming service. Yeah, but I, I've heard it. Uh, question about all this is is normally when somebody when you're when a company is headed for a sale they usually try to sell off uh some assets in order to make the company look more attractive to a potential buyer and with them getting rid of somebody who has made them money uh who's been among the top wrestlers that has made them money through merchandise, you know, the question has popped up this week. Could the WWE be headed towards a sale? And this has been backed up by a former writer of theirs uh, who said that you don't, you don't make these sort of moves unless you're headed towards a sale of the company. And from all indications, yeah. they're saying that because of how because of how big the WWE has has uh, has gotten over the past couple of decades, yeah, you're probably looking you're probably looking at a minimum four billion dollars, three or four billion dollars uh, to purchase the WWE. Yeah. Doesn't come cheap, does it? No, but this raises a big question. Purchasing the rights to the WWE Network, could that have been a bit of a precursor to them eventually purchasing the entire company? Hmm. Well, now that you put that way, of a precursor, that, that could be very possible. So for that kind of a price, I would think so. $4 billion. Yeah, I mean they've already invested a billion into the uh, into it by acquiring, you know, the actual uh, their their entire library of uh, of content of you know their their former events and everything. So, I mean, I guess it's entirely possible that we could potentially see them at least try to get involved. Uh, I've heard that Disney is also a potential option as well. Disney? Yeah. I can't picture. You don't, th- you don't think Disney would get into the wrestling business? No, no, that's, no, Disney's more family oriented. I don't, I don't see that. It, it doesn't fit the Disney description, you know, wrestling, um, WWE. True. I can't see that. That, that I, just seems too strange. Unless you want to count with uh, The Rock doing a Disney movie, but other than that, no. Then again, though, I mean, 
you know, we've seen them, uh, we've seen them take on uh, Marvel, you know, by purchasing Marvel and purchasing the, uh, the Avengers. And most recently mm-hmm. they're working on the, uh, on the new Deadpool movie, which is supposedly going to be Marvel's first R rated movie under the Marvel banner. So, or actually, yeah, Spider-Man clone. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you can kind of say Spider-Man clone, I guess. Um, I do, I do. But you know, Deadpool, you know, is an R-rated, uh, an R, an R-rated um, asset. I know. So, you know, that's going to be Disney's foray into the R rating. I mean, I, I'm not sure I would, I would exactly take a potential. I, I don't know if I would put in a potential acquisition of the WWE out of the equation here, potentially. Mm-hmm. Disney definitely has the money. They, they've yeah. always been about being the forefront of entertainment. You know, right. WWE WWE has tried to go edgy over the past couple of years, or and keyword is tried. Sure. Uh, no matter how much they've tried, they've spectacularly failed at doing so. Um, but yeah. you know, they have been a you could say they have been a PG product for pretty much the last decade or so. So I kind of feel like it would fall right into Disney's uh, right into Disney's lap. You know what I mean? Yeah, but still, I I still don't see it. I mean, they're completely you know opposite of each other. You know, WWE that's not really family. That's not really family friendly. While Disney, even though they're trying to change their image a little bit, like you said before about mismatches, that's another one of the mismatches. True. Or match but before, be, before we get back into uh, into NBA playoff talk, uh, I, I just got I got to dive into boxing a little bit because, especially hearing and obviously of course we have the big boxing uh, event tomorrow night between uh, Floyd Mayweather and and I I oh, say tomorrow. event loosely yeah it's tomorrow night I thought it was tonight hmm, it's kind of unusual no, for Sunday. So, yeah, it, that, you know that's exactly what uh, what a, a bunch of my friends have been uh, have been saying with me when I've uh, talked to them at work. Yeah. Uh, that it's it's been yeah. very weird to see a Sunday boxing fight as opposed to it being on Saturday night. Uh, but Floyd yeah, Mayweather is set. Floyd Mayweather is set to take on Logan Paul uh, tomorrow Mayweather. night. And uh, speaking of the Paul family, Jake Paul's next fight. Yep. Uh, which will be his first fight on Showtime under the Showtime banner uh, will be gonna... against. Yep, exactly, and it will be against former UFC champion Tyrone Woodley. And you know, normally I would say I would say okay, maybe this is just another case of uh, them trying to feed Logan Paul an easy fight in order to, uh, you know, in order to try and. Yeah. Get some uh, easy uh, pay-per-view numbers, but this is a well. The thing is, Steve, that, um, here's what I would here's what I would try. I would ask you this on my show tonight. Do you think it's a fair fight to have someone who's never, you know, been in a boxing ring go up against, you know, 
uh, a boxing champion and vice versa because, you know, someone just doesn't doesn't seem like because, you know, that one person you experience in the boxing world, the other isn't, and it doesn't even look like for much of a fight because, you know, he's probably going to get, you know, the crap kicked out of him. As it would be expected. Now, I mean, we've seen this before, and it didn't really work. Now, if it was if it was an actual boxing champion against somebody who's never done boxing, I'd say, yeah, it wouldn't be fair. But this is Jake Paul. I mean, yeah, he's been mm-hmm. training in boxing for the past couple of years, but he hasn't actually fought anybody legitimate. That's what I'm saying. He fought some. He fought some random YouTuber. Then he fought uh, Nate Robinson, who looked like he was drunk half of the time. And then he <laughs> fought the fixed fight against uh, against Ben Askren, where he right. knocked him out in one punch. Which honestly, I still say it to this day. It one looked punch. like Askren leaned. It looked like Askren leaned into the punch in yeah. order to try and effectively take it. And basically fall to the mat for an easy payday. But what's Mm -hmm. different here with Woodley is while Woodley has been fighting in the UFC, the difference between Woodley and Askren is Woodley has legitimate knockout power in those, in those hands. He may have, I get that. he He may not have knocked out a lot of people during his UFC career, but the knockouts that he has had, were devastating. He knocked out a brawler like Robbie Lawler when he won the UFC welterweight championship from Lawler back in 2016. Mm-hmm. He knocked out Carlos Condit with a granted that was with a leg kick. Okay, let me stick to punches then. Uh, he knocked out Dung Hyun yeah. Kim. He's, he knocked out Josh Kozchek, who at the time had one of the biggest chins in MMA. He also knocked out Jay Hierden, who at the time had a uh, had a granite chin, as they say, when you have basically uh, you could take so many punches without, you know, really feeling anything. Yeah. So he he has legitimate knockout power. I think it's possible that Jake Paul may be biting off more than he can chew with this fight. Oh yeah. I mean, granted, boxing is different because you're not on the ground and stuff, and you're you're just literally standing. You're still you're you're still standing and 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 everything, and occasionally hugging, depending on if you're losing the fight or not. Um, right. You know, but the the big difference I think Jake Paul is going to see in this fight is that Woodley has a lot stronger of a shot than Ben Askren ever had yeah, in terms of punching power. That. So I think, I think it's entirely possible. I know, I know they're saying uh, right now, I think the betting odds are even currently between Woodley and, uh, and Jake Paul. I think that you're probably going to see, you're probably going to see uh the potential i don't i don't really want to call it an upset but i think we could see an upset with woodley taking the win even though in my opinion woodley should be the favorite but because he's never professionally boxed before and 
Mm-hmm. I guess I guess you can say Jake Paul has, uh, even though he right. hasn't faced a legitimate boxer yet. Um, you know, I still believe that we're probably going to see an upset with Woodley beating Paul. Yeah, I would. Well, I guess now, it depends on your definition of an upset, though. I mean, because we consider it, you know. But like I said, I don't know if it be considered much of a fair fight, you know, being his lack of experience. I mean, you know, trying to combine, you know, UFC with actual boxing, you know, it doesn't always make for a lot of very entertaining, uh, entertaining bouts. Well, let's not forget. Let's not forget, though, you may be in the UFC, but you have a boxing coach. Most champions have boxing coaches. They have boxing coaches. They have jujitsu coaches. They have wrestling coaches. So it's not like it's not like Woodley has been fighting all these years and he hasn't been getting trained in boxing on the side. You know, he may not have legitimately fought a professional boxing fight during. Uh, during uh, his career, but he has been training in boxing, technically. All right, well, it does, yeah, but still not in a professional fight, though. No, not in a professional fight. I mean, as far as a professional boxing fight, that is. You know, I mean, because that's, you know, that's what the problem is. The only professional fighting that he's done is with the U- is with the UFC and uh, and Strikeforce uh, back in mixed martial arts. Now, on the other hand, we have Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather. Logan Paul weighed in at 189 and a half pounds today, while Floyd Mayweather is fighting at 155 pounds. That's a 34-and-a-half-pound advantage. I guess let's call it a 35-pound advantage. And for all we right. know, Logan's probably going to weigh a lot more tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I think it's time for, for Mayweather to hang him up, though. Well, yeah, obviously that's the only reason why Mayweather's doing this. It's because it's easy money. Right, of course. It's, it's going it's to get it's, – it's, let me put it this way. Mayweather doesn't sign on the dotted line unless he's getting a lot of money for it. Yeah. So this uh, this is going to be, in my opinion at least, a quick bout. I think Mayweather is going to toy yeah. with, uh, with Paul for the first couple of rounds maybe, but then he'll finally start to turn up the heat. Uh, he, these are the official rules. Um, there will not be an official result. So uh, there will be no judges or an official decision read after the fight. No uh, judges. Yeah, it's basically like the Roy Jones Jr. Uh, Mike Tyson fight, essentially. Oh no, I shouldn't say that because there were judges, but technically, I mean, let's face it: one was clearly going for Tyson, one was clearly going for Jones, and the other one was clearly sniffing glue the entire fight. So, technically, you could say there were no judges for the Roy Jones Jr. Mike Tyson fight. Kind of like how there isn't going to be for for this fight tomorrow night. Um, 
it says here the two will not wear headgear as they mix it up with 10-ounce gloves. Knockouts and knockdowns will be legal, and the referee can stop the bout at any moment. So basically, it is going to be an official boxing. It's going to be an official boxing fight while not being official, if that makes any sense. Under the circumstance of this uh, of this bout, because yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's it's basically you can going call to what be, you want, but yeah, you know, it's it, it's basically going to be an exhibition bout. Right. Because, yes. I mean, let's let's face it. If I was Floyd Mayweather, I wouldn't want to put my fifth, my perfect 50-0 and 0 record on the line against a guy who's only fought once. Mm-hmm. Now, the reach advantage, uh, Logan, Paul does have, Logan Paul does have a four-inch reach advantage on Mayweather, as well as the distinct height advantage by at least six inches. Um. Although I don't, I don't know if that'll really uh, make much of a difference because Mayweather is probably going to clown him anyways. Oh, I don't um, know. I mean, with a good reach, that could that could uh, spice things up a bit. But we all know, we all know how how Mayweather has been able has been able to uh, to dance around uh, opponents' punches before. Yes. Yes. So you know, it's 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 like he said uh, at the weigh-ins: height don't win fights, weight don't win fights, fighting wins fights, and I can fight. Oh, that's but yeah. I I do think though that it is possible, maybe perhaps because of the reach advantage, that Logan could in could could potentially land a couple of good shots. Right. However, I'll just put it out there right now. I I don't think he will do better than Conor McGregor. No, no, I don't go there. Uh, well, McGregor- uh, you know what, Steve? Um, I just got word from my uh, other from my uh, partner, so I got to split. I don't know if I'm going to make it back in time, so I'll just leave it at that, and I'll be back next week. All right, Lou. Well, if you, if you can't make it back, uh, we will we will talk to you next week. You got it, man. Thanks. All righty. So yeah, when it com- you know when it comes to this uh, when it comes to this fight between Mayweather and uh, and Logan Paul, I honestly i I could be wrong, but I don't think Logan is gonna fair as well as May, as uh, McGregor did against Mayweather back in 2017 when McGregor, for the most part, it, it really seemed like on a lot of people's scorecards that he was actually gaining quite a bit of points against, uh, against Mayweather. So, you know, I guess depending on how, depending on, depending on how you look at it, maybe, Perhaps the reach advantage could have a bit of a factor, but I honestly just don't see it. I could be wrong, though. But let's take a look at uh, some of the scores from around the different leagues here. Uh, We will start with the NBA. Uh, The NBA, of course, 
currently going through the second round of the playoffs. Uh, there was only one game on tap tonight, and that was the Brooklyn Nets with a 115-107 to victory over the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Kevin Durant led the way, as I said, with 29 points, 10 rebounds, and 3 assists. Giannis Antetokounmpo led the way for the Milwaukee Bucks with 34 points and 11 rebounds. Uh, for tomorrow night's action, or tomorrow's action, I should say, not tomorrow night, we have uh, the 76ers playing host to the Atlanta Hawks at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it is unknown as of now if Joel Embiid will be available to play or not. Uh, we also have at 3.30 p.m. the L.A. Clippers playing host to the Dallas Mavericks as both teams look to try and advance into the second round. Uh, let's go into the NHL. Uh, we have two finals. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning with a 6-4 to victory over the Carolina Hurricanes, extending their series lead to three games to one. And this one got pretty heavy. Uh, specifically in the second period. But the Tampa Bay Lightning, they opened things up in the first with a goal by Braden Point. They were answered, however, in the second period with two goals from Toivo Teravainen and Jesper Fast of the Carolina Hurricanes. But Tampa Bay was able to even things up on the power play with a power play goal by Steven Stamkos, the captain. Uh, Dougie Hamilton then answered for Carolina with his second goal of the playoffs, followed by Jacob Slavin uh, with his first of the playoffs for the Carolina Hurricanes. Then after that, it was all Tampa Bay as Nikita Kucherov scored his fourth of the, of the playoffs on the power play, followed by Tyler Johnson scoring his first and Steven Stamkos netting his second of the game and this one being on the power play, his fifth of the playoffs. And in the third, Kucherov put it away with his second of the game and fifth of the playoffs to make it a 6-4 to four victory for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And as far as any other stats that were put up here, uh, just taking a look real quick. For the Carolina Hurricanes, for all the other stats, uh, we had Andrei Svechnikov on the night, Jordan Martinuk, Sebastian Ajo, uh, Cedric Paquette, Jordan Stahl, Stephen Lorenz, and Dougie Hamilton with one assist apiece, and Jacob Slavin also had two assists to go with his one goal that was scored uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, though, we had two assists go to Andre Palat, and one assist went to the following players, Victor Hedman, Eric Cernak, Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, Ross Colton, Anthony Sorelli, Braden Point, Alex Killorn, Patrick Maroon, and yeah, that's that's it, basically. So the Tampa Bay Lightning, they are one step closer to the third round for their playoff run here in in the hopes of defending their Stanley Cup championship. 
that they won last year. Uh, the New York Islanders, as I mentioned earlier, with a 4-1 to one victory over the Boston Bruins. Uh, David Krejci opened up the scoring on a power play goal that was originally reviewed for goaltender interference, but it was proven that there was no goaltender interference on the replay. Thus, uh, Krejci got a goal. Uh, Krejci was awarded the goal from Marchand and Pasternak, and we saw the New York Islanders then go on the penalty kill because they lost the coach's challenge on that play. Uh, The Islanders were able to tie it up on a goal from uh, Kyle Palmieri with assists going to Matthew Barzell and Jordan Eberle to uh, not, not that, not that long after actually, after the Krejci goal. Uh, Then in the third period, it was all New York with a goal by Matthew Barzell uh, from Scott Mayfield and Noah Dobson his second of the playoffs. Casey Sezikis added an empty net goal from Cal Clutterbuck and John Gabriel Pajot with a empty net goal uh, with an assist from Leo Komarov to steal it for the New York Islanders. So the Islanders head back to Boston with the series tied at two games apiece. Uh, this score has just gone final, actually, uh, in Major League Baseball. The Boston Red Sox with a 7-3 to victory over the New York Yankees. Uh, some games for tomorrow night we have uh, in the NHL with the Montreal Canadiens leading the Winnipeg Jets two games to none. At 6 p.m. Eastern, the Winnipeg Jets will look to get back into the series as they head to Montreal for game three. And with a two-to-one series lead uh, in this series heading into game four, the Colorado Avalanche look to extend the lead to three games to one over the Vegas Golden Knights at 8.30 p.m. from Las Vegas. So as the series currently stands in the playoffs, we have, the Tampa Bay Lightning leading the Carolina Hurricanes three games to one. The Boston Bruins and the New York Islanders are tied at two apiece. We have the Colorado Avalanche leading the Vegas Golden Knights two games to one. And the Montreal Canadiens fresh off of their upset over their, not just the upset, but their comeback uh, series victory over the Toronto Maple Leafs, they are leading the Winnipeg Jets two games to none with game three scheduled for tomorrow night. Now, going into baseball, we have the Red Sox with a 7-3 to three victory over the New York Yankees. The win goes to Eduardo Rodriguez. The loss goes to James and Tyon of the New York Yankees. As the Yankees held the lead uh, two to nothing before Boston was able to take the lead, but then immediately gave up the lead in the sixth inning. And the Red Sox then scored four in the eighth inning 
And actually, I was I was wrong, by the way. The wind does not go, or I should say, the loss. The loss does not go to uh, to Tyon. The loss goes to Chad Green. And in terms of the Red Sox, as far as the Red Sox go, it looks like the win is probably going to Adam Ottavino, I believe. I could be wrong, though. Uh, let me take a look here. Maybe, maybe I can get an, maybe I can get an update. Where are we? Scores. Here we go. No, the win actually goes to Garrett Whitlock as he improves to one and one on the season, with Chad Green falling to zero and four as the New York Yankees continue to slide, and the save goes to Matt Barnes, his 14th of the season. Uh, some other finals from earlier tonight. Uh, the San Francisco Giants with a 4-3 to victory over the Chicago Cubs. The win goes to Kevin Gausman, his uh, perfect 7-0 and record with a 1.27 ERA this year. The loss will go to Cole Stewart, who falls to one and one, and the save goes to Tyler Rogers, his eighth of the year. In Milwaukee, the Brewers hold on to a seven to five victory over the Arizona Diamondbacks. The win goes to Devin Williams, who improves to two and zero. Oh. The loss goes to Joaquin Soria, who falls to zero oh and two, and Josh Hader reco- records his fourteenth save of the year. Uh, the final in 12 innings in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Pirates with a 8-7 to victory over the Miami Marlins. The win goes to Clay Holmes, while the loss goes to Adam Simber. In Kansas City, the Minnesota Twins defeat the Kansas City Royals 5-4 to in regulation. The win goes to Jose Barrios, while the loss goes to Mike Miner with Hansel Robles picking up the save his fifth of the year. In Texas, the Tampa Bay Rays shut out the Texas Rangers three to none with the win being picked up by Rich Hill, his fifth of the year, improving to five and two, while the loss goes to Colby Allard. And Diego Castillo records his ninth save of the year as the Rays can uh, look to uh, stay in the AL East race. Actually, they lead the AL East right now, currently. Uh, Two games over the Red Sox. The Philadelphia Phillies with a 5-2 victory over the Washington Nationals. Uh, The win goes to Ranger Suarez, while the loss goes to Joe Ross. Suarez improves to 1-0. Ross falls to 2-6 while Connor Brogdon picks up his first save of the year for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, The Toronto Blue Jays defeat the Houston Astros 6-2 today. Uh, Ross Stripling with uh, the win pick uh, improving to 2-3 on the year. The loss goes to Jose Urquidy, falling to 4-3. The Cleveland Indians with the 10-4 victory over the Baltimore Orioles. The win goes to Aaron Chevale, while the loss goes to John Means. Chevale improves to 8-2, and two, while Means falls 
final in Chicago, the Detroit Tigers with a 4-3 to victory over the Chicago White Sox. We have Tariq Skubal with the victory, improving to 3-7 and on the year, while the loss goes to Lucas Giolito as he falls to 5-5, five and five, with Jose Cisnero picking up his first save of the season. In St. Louis, the Cincinnati Reds with a 5-2 to two victory over the St. Louis Cardinals. The win goes to Ta- uh, Tyler Molly, while the loss goes to Ryan Helsley. And Lucas Sims picks up his fifth save of the year for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, games that are still ongoing, we have a battle uh, between NL East, or I mean, I'm sorry, between uh, National League uh Rivals as the Atlanta Braves currently hold a six to four lead over the LA Dodgers, uh, with about one out in the bottom of the eighth inning. So Dodgers are down to their final three outs in that game. Uh, in the bottom of the fifth, the Oakland Athletics with a five to one lead over the Colorado Rockies. Uh, in the bottom of the second, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim with a one to nothing lead over the Seattle Mariners. And uh, midway through the second uh, in San Diego, we currently have uh, a scoreless game between the San Diego Padres and the New York Mets. So plenty of games uh, still going on right now in Major League Baseball. Let's see. Uh, We do have one story that we didn't report last week that we should have reported. Uh, Marcel Ozuna has been arrested in Fulton County on two charges last Saturday. He was charged with aggravated assault, strangulation, as well as a misdemeanor battery, uh, family violence, basically, according to jail records on the Fulton County, Georgia website. ESPN's Jeff Passan reported that MLB will begin an investigation following his arrest, and he will be subject subject to the league's domestic violence policy, and he faces a uh, possible suspension. Let me take a look, actually, and see if there is an update here. I believe there probably is. Uh, Last I checked, I believe he is out for the next Actually, yeah, no, it says uh, the that he was placed on the injured list. Uh, he was expected to miss at least six weeks. Uh, placed on the injured list by the Atlanta Braves uh, after he dislocated two fingers on his left hand. So, obviously, he's out at least now for the next six weeks. Uh, probably going to be a lot more, depending on what Major League Baseball decides here. With, uh, with this, the Boston Red Sox, they acquired three prospects to complete the Andrew Benintendi trade, which was originally a three-team deal that brought Andrew, Andrew Benintendi to Kansas City with Franchi Cordero going to the Boston Red Sox as well as uh, other assets. Uh, the Red Sox announced that they acquired outfielder Freddie Valdez from the New York Mets, he is their 13th or 14th best prospect on the uh, Mets organization's list, as well as right-handers Grant Gambrell and Luis De La Rosa from the Kansas City Royals. 
uh, as the players to be named later in the trade. So officially the trade stands as follows. Uh, the Red Sox, they get Freddie Valdez, Grant Gambrell, uh, Luis De La Rosa, along with outfielder Franchi Cordero from the Royals, as well as minor league righty Josh Winchowski from the New York Mets. Uh, the Mets, they get Khalil Lee in the deal uh, from Kansas City, who was arguably the better prospect in the entire deal, which makes absolutely no sense why Kansas City would trade the better prospect for, you know, and instead of trading it to the team that they're trading, that they're acquiring a player from. Uh, and obviously Andrew Benintendi, he goes to the Kansas City Royals as part of this deal. Uh, the 19-year-old Valdez has yet to progress to a ball after splitting the 2019 season between rookie-level Dominican Summer League as well as the Gulf Coast League. Uh, the Mets had signed him originally as a 16-year-old out of the Dominican Republic back in 2018 for a $1.4 million bonus. Uh, in his lone season of pro ball, he hit 274 with an 18% strikeout rate and an 11.4% walk rate. Uh, he is generally regarded as one of the Mets' top 20 prospects, ranking 13th at the Athletic, 14th for MLB.com, and 17th for Baseball America, as well as 18th at Fangraphs. Uh, he is described as an absolute behemoth of a, of a corner outfield prospect with thunderous power, likening him to Indian slugger Fran Milde Reyes. Uh, the Athletics Keith Law wrote that Valdez has huge power with above-average speed and a plus arm, though many scouting reports on Valdez raise questions about his hit tool and his defensive future. Uh, obviously, given his age and the fact that he is yet to play single-A ball, he factors uh, he's years away from factoring into the Red Sox's big league plans. Uh by all accounts, he is a physical specimen, specimen at a young age with a tantalizing set of loud tools, but it has a ways to go before scouts will be sold that those tools can translate at the major league level. Basically, he's the type that comes with considerable upside, but also a fair bit of risk as part of this deal. Gambrell is, is the more highly regarded of the two players coming over from the Royals, and he is much closer to the big leagues at the age of 23. Uh, he was a third-round pick out of Oregon State back in 2019 for Kansas City. Uh, he has tossed uh, 22 and two-thirds innings of 4.37 ERA ball in Class A advanced to begin the season, recording a 19.8% strikeout rate and a 7.6 walk rate, as well as a 50% ground ball rate in that time uh, for the Royals organization. Uh, he was ranked 21st among Kansas City prospects, noting that Gambrell used the off time in 2020 to get into better shape and reported to camp in 20, uh, for this year with a totally different body as well as improved velocity. De La Rosa is even more of a lottery ticket, though, than Valdez. Even though he is still just 18 years old, uh, he had signed as a 16-year-old back in 2018 and carved up the Dominican Summer League a year later, tossing 38 and two-thirds innings with a 2.33 ERA, a ridiculous 52-7 to strikeout-to-walk ratio, and a strong 48.9% grounder rate. Despite that short season debut, though, 
he isn't ranked among the Royals' best prospects, although he certainly could generate some further recognition if he can back up that dominant showing at a more advanced level. So basically, the Red Sox acquired two, no, I'm going to say three lottery picks, because let's face it, Franchi Cordero hasn't really shown much uh, since coming to Boston, even though he is playing with the AAA Woo Sox out of Worcester right now uh, since being sent down. You know, he uh, – let me put it this way. He would, he, uh, the Red Sox would have been a lot better off just hanging on to Andrew Benintendi, considering what Benintendi has put up so far this year. But, you know, maybe perhaps with time there could be some sort of improvement uh, amongst the players that, that, they, that they've gotten in this deal. So that remains to be seen, obviously. (laughs) Uh, Throughout major league baseball, major league baseball is looking to crack down on pitchers use of foreign substances. Uh, According to MLB networks, John Heyman ball doctoring was among the topics discussed at the owners meeting a couple of days ago. Uh, with the league and the owners evidently deciding it was rampant enough to warrant stepping in. Uh, The league will remain in communication with the MLBPA, Umpires Association, and teams throughout the enforcement process, according to Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. Uh, So basically we have seen, you know, pitchers starting to use, um, you know, foreign substances, as a matter of fact, there has been four instances in the minors as four minor league pitchers, uh, Marcus Evie, Sal Biasi, Tai Wei Tang, and Mason Engler have all been suspended for the whole year uh, for that practice. Those bans were each for 10 games. Uh, the last three players of those four mentioned were all suspended last weekend, suggesting that the league has increased its enforcement at the lower levels within the past few days. Uh, This has become quite a bit of a concern as, uh, you know, whiffs have continued to climb as the uh, Major League Baseball entered play today with a Literally, the the entire league is batting an average of 240. A 240, 316, 401 slash line, excluding pitchers, with an all-time high 23.6% strikeout rate. And obviously, you know, foreign substance isn't all to blame for this because obviously, you know, pitch velocities are higher than ever Uh and the increasing lack of action on the base paths incentivizes hitters to adopt more of an all-or-nothing approach at the plate. Nevertheless, though, Major League Baseball has concluded that foreign substances have a significant enough impact to warrant further scrutiny. Um, some updates on this here. In particular, uh, they plan to put out a uh, some sort of new plan that will require umpires to check for foreign substances during games, including random searches. Uh, the plan is looking to be put in action within the next t- 10 days to two weeks. 
And actually, if I can check, I believe I retweeted this on Twitter. Let me see if I can find the... Thing here, or no, it wasn't on. It wasn't on Twitter. It was from uh, the score out of Canada. So basically, there will be eight to ten random checks per game when pitchers are leaving the mound or at the end of an inning, according to Buster Olney of ESPN, uh, who adds that starting pitchers will likely be checked at least twice during the game. The punishment for a pitcher who uses a foreign substance who uses a foreign substance could be 10 days without pay uh or depending on if you're a starter that's basically two starts uh position players will also be checked but they'll be warned after first offenses and asked to clean up the substances uh through observations and video the league has reportedly created a scouting report documenting where and how pitchers use foreign substances including evidence that other major leaguers have submitted Uh, They know all the spots, the pitchers who are pulling on the strings of their glove or going to a spot on their belt, according to a source uh, of Buster Olney's. The use of foreign substances in baseball has been a a hot topic. You know, uh, St. Louis Cardinals reliever Giovanni Gallegos' hat was confiscated in late May. And uh, Minnesota Twins slugger Josh Donaldson said that he had created a catalog of different pitchers cheating. Uh, He doubled down on his comments yesterday saying it is cheating and it is performance enhancing. Uh, The only way they get it through and to get it out of the game is if they get checked every half inning. If a new pitcher comes out, they get checked immediately by the umpire. Once they start doing that, it'll be gone. Obviously, you know, this is, this has been done, you know, for years. I mean, We've seen it get referenced in Major League, the uh, the Charlie Sheen movie uh, about the uh, the Cleveland Indians and Wild Thing and all that shit, where uh, one of their starters talked about how uh, how he used uh, he he uh, put some sort of thing uh, in inside of his nose to where just one one little uh, one little slide through the nose could get him a couple of, a couple of miles, a couple miles an hour added onto his fastball or on, onto any of his pitches. So, you know, this has been going, this has been going on for years and it's only now that major league baseball has decided to actually do something about it. So it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see what the fallout is going to be from from uh, you know this, whether as to whether or not we'll actually see, will we see more suspensions get handed down and all this stuff, or exactly what what's going to happen here, basically. And you know, will we see more? You know, will, will we see more? Uh, you know, if 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 we start to see more and more of these cases pop up, will the will the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Will the consequences get more extreme the more that these pop up? 
Uh, one little little golf note here. The uh, defending champ, second-round leader, and the number three uh, golfer in the world, John Rahm, uh, who was a 12-to-1 favorite uh, pre-tournament uh, for the Memorial Tournament, fired a week low eight under par uh, in the third round of the Memorial Tournament today to match the 54-hole tournament scoring record of 18 under 198. Uh, and then was forced to withdraw from the event today after a positive COVID-19 test popped up. Uh, the 26-year-old who had just taken a commanding six-shot lead was met by officials just off the 18th green where he was given the news. Uh, as a result, uh, as a result of the uh, of the positive test, Colin Morikawa and past champ Patrick Cantlay both on 12 under 204 are now 54 hole co-leaders heading into, into tomorrow's final round at Moorville village golf club with Braden, Brandon Grace and Scotty Scheffler sharing third place on nine under 207. Uh, Rom who had just rang up nine birdies in, in round three and route to equaling the largest 54 hole lead in tournament history played the third round with Cantley and Scheffler and the first two rounds with Morikawa and Xander Shoffley. This is his first mid tourney you know, this is his first withdrawal in hundred and seven career events. So this has to be this has to suck completely. I mean it, Apparently, uh, according to the statement put out there by the PGA Tour, they announced that on the evening of Monday, May 31st, the PGA Tour notified John Rahm that he was subject to contact tracing protocols, that he had come in close contact with a person who was COVID positive. Per the Tour's health and safety plan for COVID, he was given the option to remain in the competition and enter our tracing protocol which includes daily testing and restricted access to indoor facilities. Rom has remained asymptomatic. Rom has tested negative every day, but his most recent test, which was performed after the conclusion of his second round due to a rain delay, and before the start of his third round, returned positive at at approximately 4.20 p.m. Eastern time today while Rom was on the golf course. The PGA Tour's medical advisor requested a confirmatory test on the original sample, which came back at 6.05 p.m. Eastern time and was also positive. So because of this, John Rahm has officially been lifted from the tournament. Uh in, in also in Major League Baseball, Roman Quinn has been diagnosed with a ruptured left Achilles tendon. Uh, he underwent surgery this week and is expected to miss 9 to 12 months of action. Uh, Travis Jankowski uh, will replace him on the Philadelphia Phillies roster as a result of this injury. In the NFL... Man, you know, I, we all know the news, Julio Jones, about how, uh, about how he wants to get traded. 
And if this report is anything, if, if this report is anything to go by, yeah, the Patriots are probably out of the running here. Uh, as according to Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, if traded, Julio Jones wants to go to a contender, as most big name players want. But one other thing I've heard is intriguing. Julio Jones wants to play with a big with a big arms quarterback that can deliver the deep ball. Jones wants to outrun defensive backs and get underneath the ball. So basically that rules out the Patriots because let's face it, Cam Newton, he can't throw to save his life. And Mac Jones, I'm sorry, even though he is a rookie and he has been outperforming Newton, I just don't see him. I don't see him getting to start, you know, getting to start over Newton you know, in his rookie year. I just don't, I, I just don't get to, uh, I don't see it happening, but hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm proven wrong here. Cause it would be interesting if, if they were able to get Julio Jones, but that sucks. So equation, uh, the athletics Matt Schneidman has reported that Packers general manager, Brian Gutkunst, will not trade Aaron Rodgers this summer. Uh, confirmation of his refusal to part with Rodgers comes as an important deadline approaches. If the team were to trade Rodgers after June 1st, it would free up around $16.05 million in salary cap space this year. The team would have to absorb a $21.152 million dead money hit, however. Uh, Green Bay would have been dealt a 38 $356 million dead money charge if they traded him before June 2nd. Rodgers has made it clear that his grievance is not with the coaches or the players, but with Duke Tunst and the Packers front office. And it's possible that he could still choose retirement over returning to Green Bay, even though he wouldn't collect the remaining $23 million in signing bonuses on his contract. Uh, and the Packers could recuperate the $6.8 million roster bonus that he recently signed. That would leave Jordan Love and Blake Bortles as the Packers quarterbacks headed into this upcoming season. So this is definitely a story to, uh, to keep an eye on here as the stalemate continues. So far, Aaron Rodgers has not turned up for practice at all during the OTAs. So, as this continues along, it's entirely possible that, you know, that it's entirely possible we could potentially see uh, Aaron Rodgers choose to outright retire as opposed to actually playing another game for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, NBC Sports' Peter King has reported that most observers believe the NFL will eventually move to an 18-game season. King has said that expanding the season even further, uh, 2021 will be the first 17-game season in league history, uh, and that expanding the season even further will be a pressing issue for whoever follows Roger Goodell as the next NFL commissioner as King has expected that Goodell will leave his post by the 2024 or 2025 season, which would make his commissioner tenure nearly 20 years in the business. 
Uh, tacking on more games to the NFL schedule would be a tough sell to players, according to Peter King. Uh, quoted as saying, how can a league that professes to care about the long-term health of its players subject them to, 20, to 17 games this year and maybe 18 by 2025 or 2026 without imaginatively pursuing ways to assure players that they're not going to be guinea pigs for the NFL's almighty dollar? The owners have dollar signs dancing in their heads over more inventory. The players should have a roadblock dancing in theirs. So we could potentially see a stalemate as a result of uh, of this potential news. Maybe another lockout on the on the horizon. Maybe something to keep an eye on for when it comes to the NFL. Uh, it has also been announced that NFL players who do not get the COVID nineteen vaccine will be required to stay in town during their team's bye week and be tested for the virus every day. Uh, Peter King reported for NBC Sports that uh, an unspecified team had 65 of its 90 players vaccinated against COVID. That team would need another dozen players to get the jab before they can return to pre-COVID meeting and practice schedules. NFL teams with vaccination rates below 85% will have to keep running practices and meetings like they did in 2020. Uh, The Bills have become the most prominent vaccine skeptical team as Josh Allen and Cole Beasley have said they need to do more research before they sign up for the vaccine. Bills coaches and front office officials certainly hope that Allen and Beasley make time to Google the vaccine in the coming weeks. Teams that can revert to pre-COVID practices will have distinct advantages over those who can't. Uh, the NFL Network's Tom Pelissero reports that all signs point to the NFL keeping in place the shorter injured reserve and 16-man practice squads from last season again for 2021. Prior to 2020, teams were only allowed to designate two players to return from injured reserve, and those players had to spend a minimum of eight weeks on the injured reserve list. So with COVID last season, the NFL shortened the injured reserve to a minimum of three weeks and didn't have a cap on the amount of players a team could activate throughout the year. It made perfect sense and worked so well that it will likely become the new normal, which in my opinion is probably the best thing. Because just because, you know, a player is injured and maybe perhaps maybe perhaps they're going to be out for three weeks and – the team is already is already short at that specific position that in order to bring somebody in, they would have to transfer him over to injured reserve, thus effectively losing him for eight weeks. When instead now under this new under this new guideline, he will only be out for three weeks and they can make you know, you know they can make adjustments that way a lot easier as opposed to having to having to weigh the decision on whether to lose a player who may be out for only three weeks and instead lose them for eight weeks by putting them on injured reserve for the original uh, the original rules that they had surrounding them. Uh, practice squad rosters were also increased to 16 from 10 the year before. That will also stay in place as well. Uh, for Patriots news, and this may have a bit of an impact on the quarterback competition here, 
the Athletics' Jeff Howe has reported that Cam Newton injured his right hand during uh, yesterday's OTAs and did not return to practice. He reportedly hit his throwing hand on another player's helmet during 11-on-11 drills. Uh, Howe said that Newton kept checking for swelling near the knuckle on the base of his right index finger after suffering the injury. He threw one pass during the next period and then went to the trainers. Uh, Mac Jones and Jared Stidham then rotated reps with the number one offense after Newton left. An extended absence for Newton could potentially position Jones to compete for the week one starting job as the Patriots head into training camp in July. Uh, The team's pass catchers figured to benefit from an offense quarterbacked by Jones as opposed to an offense quarterbacked by Newton, considering Newton's struggles that he had last year. Uh, The Patriots did also sign wide receiver Marvin Hall, formerly of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Cleveland signed Hall late last year after the Lions released him. Hall made 11 appearances for the Lions in 2020, totaling 17 catches for 290 yards and two touchdowns. He was eventually overtaken by rookie Quintez Cephas. Hall will have to compete with Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers for slot duties in New England's revamped offense. But honestly, just looking at some of the tape on Marvin Hall, he kind of, this signing kind of reminds me a little bit of the Damier Bird signing that the Patriots had last year. In all honesty, we could possibly we could possibly see if Hall ends up staying on with the team and he doesn't get cut during uh, during preseason. We could potentially see Hall translate into that bird type of role, especially with Julian Edelman now gone. So that's something to keep an eye on if you're a New England Patriots fan there. Uh, for the NHL, uh, we do have some suspensions that could potentially affect certain playoff series. In particular, I mentioned how Montreal is up two games to none on the Winnipeg Jets. Mark Shifley just served the first game of his four-game suspension that was handed down after he charged Montreal's Jake Evans Wednesday night in game one, very late in the game, might I add. Uh, The NHL ruled it a violent and unwarranted hit with significant head impact, and in all honesty, that I definitely agree. Even though I'm a Bruins fan, uh, it was definitely unwarranted because this came after Evans had scored the empty net goal, and Shifley, for some reason, instead of trying to go for the puck the whole entire time up the ice, he was going for Evans the entire way. Uh the Department of Player Safety also noted that Shifley not attempting to try and break up the play with a stick, only going for a hit as a factor in their decision. So now Shifley will miss – he already missed game two. He will miss games three, four, and five, and he will be eligible to return for a potential game six matchup. But let's face it, considering how Carey Price has been playing so far for the Canadiens and how the Canadiens' offense has been playing, there's probably not even going to be a game five unless Winnipeg kicks it into gear here. Also, uh, another suspension, uh, Nazem Kadri, he of the Colorado Avalanche, had been serving an eight-game suspension 
ever since he had an illegal check to the head of St. Louis defenseman Justin Falk in game two of the first round uh, of that four-game uh, sweep by the Colorado Avalanche over the St. Louis Blues. Uh, he had already served three games of the suspension. Actually, he's – no, I think he's served five now at this point with uh, Colorado up two games to one. Uh, Kadri did have – he has the option to appeal to an independent arbitrator for a final decision. And last report I checked, uh, apparently he did – he did uh, use that right to appeal to an independent arbitrator. So we will see what happens if that ends up getting overturned and he gets paid his, uh, the money for the games that he missed. Uh, some injury news, Evgeny Malkin of the Pittsburgh Penguins, he has undergone right knee surgery and is expected to be unavailable for training camp in September. Uh the Penguins do expect, though, to have a better idea of his timetable for a return prior to the start of next year. Uh, he initially suffered the injury in a collision during a game on March 16th against the Boston Bruins. He ended up missing the final six games or final six weeks of the regular season and the first two games of the Stanley Cup playoffs due to the injury. Uh, also, more injury news, Max Domi of the Columbus Blue Jackets had successful sur- shoulder surgery on Thursday to repair a labral tear of his right shoulder. Uh, he's expected to need five to six months to make a full recovery, which will put him on the sidelines to start the 2021-2022 season. Uh, according to Blue Jackets general manager Jarmo Kekalainen, Max had been experiencing some discomfort in his shoulder, which he brought to our attention last week, and a subsequent examination revealed a labral tear. It was determined that surgery was the best course of action, and we look forward to Max's return early next season. Uh, Domi had nine goals and 24 points over 54 games during his first season as a, mem- as a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, this one, uh, it's I think uh, I, I, I consider it a bit intriguing considering the fact that, you know, women have been trying to do all they can to get a higher uh, recognition in the world of sports. Uh, this one comes as very intriguing considering she is, I believe the first, well, the first woman to actually play junior league hockey as Taya Curry has become the first female to be selected in the Ontario Hockey League Priority Selection Draft. Uh, She was taken by the Sarnia Sting with the 267th overall pick. She had been playing with the Elgin Middlesex Chiefs AAA boys team. Now, it's not unheard of, though, for girls to play alongside boys early in their competitive careers, but most switch leagues around the age of 13 or 14. Curry decided against that, uh, saying, we are a pretty close team, and I wanted to play the most competitive hockey I can. In Bantam, all the girls I played against switched over, but I wanted to try something different. So it'll be interesting to see what she can do for the Sarnia Sting, as obviously the Sting, you know, once you go into the junior leagues up there in Canada, the, the physicality, starts to ramp up a little bit. 
So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they can do, uh, what she will do as a member of the Sarnia Sting. Also, TJ Tynan uh, has been named the winner of the Les Cunningham Award of the AHL, which goes to the most valuable player. Uh, he accounted for eight goals and 35 points in 27 games for the Colorado Eagles during the shortened AHL season this year. Uh, TJ Tynan, of course, is from the Colorado Avalanche organization. Uh, he ranked first among all AHL skaters who played at least half of their team's contests in points per game with 1.3 points per game and ranked second overall in assists with 27 this year. Uh, some, actually this, this one, we, you know, I'll probably, I'll probably discuss this with, uh, with Lou later on, uh, you know, next week, but legendary Duke head coach, Mike Krzyzewski has decided to retire after the 2021, 2022 season, according to stadiums, Jeff Goodman. Krzyzewski will enter his 42nd season at Duke this year, having won five national championships. He made 12 final four appearances and has been named to the Naismith hall of fame during his tenure at Duke. Uh, he became the Division I men's career wins leader during the 2011-2012 season and earned his 1,000th career victory in 2015, becoming the first Division I men's basketball coach to, to achieve a four-figure win total. Now, he will enter next season having amassed 1,170 wins in his career, 1,097 of which of them have come at Duke. Sports Illustrated's Pat Ford reported that assistant coach and former Duke player John Shire will be Krzyzewski's successor, which that has officially been confirmed. Uh, He will retire having recorded one of the most impressive resumes in all of coaching. In addition to his success at Duke, he also led the U.S. men's national basketball team to three consecutive gold medals in the 2008, 2012, and 2016 Olympics. Uh, former Duke star Grant Hill towards, told Sports Illustrated in 2011, I really feel that whatever uh, or whatever he chose to be, a politician or a minister or a business person or a philanthropist or whatever, that he'd be amazing. Uh, when Krzyzewski and Tennessee coach Pat Summit were named the Sportsman and Sportswoman of the Year back in 2011 for Sports Illustrated. Good leaders accomplish great things. He's this amazing leader who happens to coach basketball. Uh, his first collegiate head coaching job, though, came at All- Army, which was his alma mater, where he led the program to winning seasons in four of his first five years. Uh, he then left the Black Knights following the 1980 season and took over a Duke program that had been previously coached by Bill Foster. While the Blue Devils failed to make the NCAA tournament in each of Krzyzewski's first two seasons, he missed the NCAA tournament only twice in the coming decades, with last year's missed tournament appearance being the program's first miss since 1995. Duke's 24-season streak had been the third longest in NCAA history, trailing only North Carolina with 27 and Kansas with 30. While our season was different than any other uh, that I can remember, I loved the 2020-2021 Duke 
basketball team and was honored to be their coach. Krzyzewski had said in a statement after the team pulled out of last year's ACC tournament due to a positive COVID test. Uh, He also stated, we have not asked more of any team in our history, and they deserve enormous credit for handling everything like the outstanding young men they are. Uh, Krzyzewski and Duke are poised to rebound next season after bringing in the number two recruiting class in the nation. The star-studded group is highlighted by forwards Paolo Banchero and A.J. Griffin, as well as guards Trevor Keels and Jalen Blakes. Uh, And what's interesting, though, is news of his forthcoming retirement also comes just months removed from the retirement of longtime North Carolina coach Roy Williams, who announced his departure uh, back on April 1st. When news of Williams' retirement broke, Krzyzewski said that college basketball is losing one of its greatest coaches and a man who genuinely cares about the game of basketball and, more importantly, the people who play it. It echoed what Sports Illustrated's Alexander Wolf wrote of Krzyzewski and Summit back in 2011, where he said, in their respective modulations, they've chosen not to overlook half of what it means to be human, and by doing so, they double the chance that they'll unlock what human beings are capable of. So uh, some NBA, some other NBA news. Uh, adding on to the list of of coaches that will be potentially interviewing for the uh, Boston Celtics job, you can add Lakers assistant coach and former Atlanta Hawks head coach Boyd Pierce to that list, um, as he is expected to be an early candidate in the mix to replace Brad Stevens as the head coach. Uh, In March, Stevens actually said that Lloyd can do whatever he wants next. He's going to be in high demand across the NBA. I am a big fan of Lloyd Pierce, put it that way, after Pierce was let go by the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Then again, though, Brad Stevens has also had uh, glowing praise for Becky Hammond as well, back when when Hammond coached a game uh, with – Greg Popovich being absent. So who knows, you know, who knows what Brad Stevens is thinking at this point. Uh, Evan Fournier of the Boston Celtics will enter unrestricted free agency this offseason, and he will reportedly seek a deal paying him between 15 to $20 million annually. Uh, Fournier called the Celtics, an A-plus organization when asked on his thoughts of his time there. He then said, it's a hard question to answer. Uh, The season had just ended. I have to join the French national team, and I have free agency to deal with, too. I have a lot on my mind right now when asked about becoming an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Boston narrowly avoided the luxury tax this season, and re-signing Fournier would come with an additional price this offseason. Even if they signed him to a conservative contract starting at $10 million, there would be an additional $19 million counted toward the luxury tax. Now, however, they can afford to go over the salary cap in the NBA because of the, because of the fact that they have his bird rights, because they acquired him from the Orlando Magic. So it is possible that they could go over if they choose, if they do choose to, to re-sign them. Uh, 
And back to what I said about uh, Damian Lillard, uh, Stephen A. Smith of ESPN did say yesterday that six or seven teams have already called the Blazers to inquire about potentially trading for Damian Lillard uh, late Thursday night after Denver eliminated the Blazers. Uh, Lillard quoted lyrics from rapper Nipsey, Nipsey Hussle in an Instagram post where he said, how long should I stay dedicated? How long till opportunity meets preparation? On ESPN's first take, Smith said that the Knicks, Heat, and Clippers were among the teams trying to gauge if Portland would consider moving their all-NBA point guard. So, like I said, it's something that's definitely uh, going to occupy a lot of the storylines moving forward in the upcoming offseason for the NBA. So, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Uh, And I think depending on who the Blazers take, uh, who they hire for their uh, new head coach, it could have a lot, uh, it could have a huge impact on what happens with Damian Lillard. Uh, Chris Paul of the Phoenix Suns intends to decline his $44.4 million player option for the 2021-2022 season, according to Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report. Uh, It says when the Thunder traded CP3 to the Suns last year, it was assumed that Paul would opt into the final year of his contract. However, Paul then delivered an MVP caliber campaign this season, averaging 16.4 points, 8.9 assists, and 4.5 rebounds per game, and helped the Suns so far to the second round of the playoffs. Uh, Per Pincus's report, Paul hopes to sign a new multi-year deal, perhaps in the $100 million range over three seasons. You would have to assume it's probably going to be with Phoenix. As right now, it pretty much looks like that's probably his best fit, considering where he is right now in terms of you know, in, ter- in terms of his career and the fact that it really seems like uh, that has been so far the best fit out of any team that he's pretty much been a part of throughout his career. So we'll see. We'll see what, uh, what happens with Chris Paul. Uh, and I think depending on how far the Suns go, if they can advance – perhaps to the conference finals, maybe the NBA finals, maybe perhaps that may give the Suns a little bit of an advantage when it comes to potential negotiations with Paul. AEW this past week revealed that they had signed former WWE star Andrade as he made his debut last night on Friday Night Dynamite. According to Raj Giri of WrestlingInc.com, Andrade had met with Tony, uh, Tony Khan, AEW president, the week of his release from the WWE, since Andrade didn't have that standard 90-day non-compete clause. However, no deal was made initially, uh, with Giri noting the following, that negotiations stalled because of, because of Andrade's demands, with it, which included wanting creative control 
and veto power on losing. There was a compromise made on that, and he will have a limited amount of creative control on his finishes. Uh, Andrade reportedly signed his AEW contract this week. Prior to joining AEW, it was said that Andrade had been in talks with Impact Wrestling, and he was pretty close to at least making a one-off appearance. Now, to me, this kind of says one of two things. A, I think he's overvaluing what he think what, what he thinks he's worth. To you know, when it when it comes to uh, to wrestling, I mean, making demands that to have full creative control and a veto power on losing matches. Come on, you're not, you know, you're you're not somebody like John Cena or a gigantic star. I mean, you could have been if WWE had used you the right way. But, you know, you're just you're not the type of the type of guy that can really demand stuff like that. You know, you're not on the same level as, this is just my opinion at least, you're not on the same level as somebody like a Kenny Omega or a Chris Jericho. You know, you're not one of those high-level stars. I mean, hell, I could even say I could even say Christian. You know, Christian. Uh, who had signed with AEW could probably make those type of demands. Because, mainly because of his resume, of his previous experience. The fact that he is technically considered a wrestling legend. It's a little uh, sort of stretching a little bit when it comes to Andrade making these demands like this. Because you know, he could have been WWE's next big Latin star, but, you know, they they didn't really do anything with him, which I guess I guess technically isn't all his fault, you know. Uh, WWE loves to flip-flop a whole bunch of shit uh, now, so it's not, it shouldn't really come back surprising, you know, that, uh, that WWE misused him because he could have very easily been their next big Latin star. I mean, he had a lot of momentum down in NXT, and for some reason, they just decided, "Nah, we're we're gonna basically send you to catering once uh once you come up to the main roster after a couple of years." But I hope he does succeed in AEW. I hope he, uh, I hope AEW takes the opportunity that WWE had and is able to actually do the right thing when it comes to Andrade because Andrade could be a huge star if they build him up correctly. That's the thing. All right. Uh, that's going to do it. For, uh, for this week. I know we're cutting it short tonight. Um, 
obviously, uh, Lou will be rejoining me next week. Uh, we, we're probably going to have a lot more to talk about. Uh, a reminder for those of you who have not done so yet, uh, last night, actually the past two nights, we have had uh, some pretty good, po- pretty good podcasts. Uh, we, we did this past Thursday night the top 10 Survivor heroes of all time uh, when it comes to Survivor rankings. So you guys are going to want to check that out as uh, we had quite a, quite, a few, uh, quite a few different opinions on who each of us believed was in our top 10 for Survivor heroes. Uh, this upcoming week, this upcoming Thursday, we will be doing the top 10 Survivor villains of all time, which I have an opinion, or I have a feeling it's going to be a lot closer uh, considering the amount of villains that, that we have to choose from. Uh, also, last night, if you missed it, we had a interview with Survivor co-wrongs Joseph Del Campo, uh, who ended up finishing in fifth place that season. Uh, very cool guy to talk to, you know, uh, he definitely provided a lot of, um, a lot of insight into some of the things that we may, that we may or may not have seen during his, uh, season of Survivor Co. Wrong. And it was a very, uh, very interesting chat that we had with him last night. So if you guys haven't done so yet, you can listen to that on, on the, uh, archives at either blogtalkradio.com slash Missy AE or on iTunes by searching Missy AE or by searching for Missy AE on Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, so yeah, that's gonna that's gonna do it for us tonight. Uh, be sure to join us again next week for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly. Uh, Lou will be back and uh, no, we'll see. We'll see who else will join us. Uh, will join us next week. Maybe JB uh, will join us, and maybe Evan, you know, can actually get a night off from uh, from work. So we'll see. Uh, but until then, everybody have a good rest of your weekend. And you know, once again, if you're a Survivor fan, join us this join us this Thursday for uh, our top ten Survivor villains rankings. Uh, you guys aren't going to want to miss it. And also, if you're a Big Brother fan, before I forget, if you're a Big Brother fan, uh, join uh, Melissa Hunt-Hillstrom and myself this summer as we will be hosting the or the, uh, the, Big Bro- the Big Brother recap show, which will be, I believe, Melissa and I have decided it's going to be every Friday night uh, this summer. And I believe our first podcast, our uh, our cast assessment podcast, will be shortly after the cast has been announced. So uh, be sure to, uh, to to tune in for that. Uh, obviously, once we get the official dates, uh, we will report them as as they come. Uh, but for now, uh, I will be signing off. Everybody, have a good rest of your weekend, and we will see you guys next Saturday for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly.